This is Truth with Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're right in the center of chapter 9. Matthew's been taking great pains to show the power of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He's demonstrated Christ's power over disease, nature, and demons, as well as his power to forgive and transform. Today, we'll learn about Christ's power over death, and that should be of great interest to all of us. After all, human beings have consistently and completely lost the battle with dying. We have reason for hope that can only be found in the God that has more power than this dark nemesis. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. Find your places in Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. And the Word of God says this, While he was singing these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And the woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage, your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd and the noisy disorder, he said, Leave, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. The news spread throughout all that land. So let's unpack this scene. I want to make three observations, and then this will be our outline for today. Three observations about Jesus' power over death. First of all, I want you to see in verses 18 through 19, the request of the distraught. Matthew demonstrates the compassion of Christ, who illustrates his own instructions to the Pharisees. Remember verse 13, when Jesus says to them, Go and learn this, that I desire compassion and not sacrifice. And here he is demonstrating divine compassion. The compassionate Savior stops what he's doing in order to hear the call of a distraught father. And that is the compassion of God. Now, the other synoptic gospels place the scene chronologically after the exorcism of the demoniacs of Gadara. You may remember that story from a few weeks ago, Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34. Mark and Luke also confirmed the name of the synagogue official here. His name is Jairus. And because Jesus taught in the synagogues in Capernaum, he probably knew of Jesus Christ and his fame. Possibly the exorcism that Luke describes in Luke 4 verses 31 through 37 happened at that man's synagogue. But this man experienced Jesus' eagerness to respond to those who are distraught. And that's the highlight of the first part of the scene here. Jesus Christ is eager to respond to those who come to him in faith in their distress. And this man's posture evidences his faith in Christ. In humility, he prostrated before Jesus Christ and fell at his feet in the hour of his great trial. He knew exactly who to seek, even though he was risking ostracism from his colleagues who already hated Jesus Christ. And according to Mark, he implored Jesus eagerly. That's the wording that Mark uses in Mark 5 verse 23. Now, the other synoptic gospels also reveal the age of this teenager. 
She was 12 years old, ready to celebrate her passage into womanhood. And if she was alive today, she was probably getting ready for her bet mitzvah. Not bar mitzvah, that's for boys in Jewish life. Bet mitzvah. So her father had to then switch party plans and arrange for a funeral. This man was in distress more than we can ever imagine. Indescribable sorrow. Like the psalmist, his prayer may have sounded something like this in Psalm 6, verse 6. I weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. Or Psalm 116, verse 3. The cords of death encompassed me and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I've experienced the same thing myself. Parents who endure such a thing usually experience emotional agony that is so severe that many display physical symptoms, suicidal thoughts, survivor's guilt, and misguided anger. And many also unfortunately lose their marriage because the sorrow is so overbearing, so overwhelming. And like most fathers, Jairus would have traded his life for his girl. But thankfully, what we see here in Scripture is instead of running to unhealthy coping mechanisms, he goes to the right person. He goes to the tender-hearted Savior, the one who is deeply moved, according to John 11, verse 38. You remember that story at the resurrection of Lazarus at that funeral. The Bible says that Jesus was deeply moved and he cried at the death of his friend Lazarus before he called him out of the grave. Because he is a tender-hearted, majestic Savior, he is compassionate. He is compassionate towards you. He knows your distress right now, just like he knows the distress of this man right here. And he decides to walk with him, you see? And what a lesson we learned from this guy here. Let me ask you a question, church. Who do you seek in your time of distress? Do you hit the bottle? Do you turn to drugs, prescribed or recreational or illegal? Do you feed your flesh with the false sense of comfort of pornography, for example? Do you start a shopping spree? Do you go on a gossip spree? How do you cope with your distress? I recommend we follow the example of Jairus who fell at the feet of Christ. And why? Because the Bible says in Hebrews 4 verse 15, He is our high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And what a comforting feature of the nature of Christ that we have here, church. He is always available to hear your cry. Just like he was able to stop what he was doing and he said, wait a minute, that's my priority now. I will walk with you. And that is a wonderful feature of our Savior here. He could have just uttered the word. But no, he decides to personalize this one, to walk with the distressed, so that he can take that little girl by the hand personally and welcome her back to life. A beautiful picture of what he will do to every believer in Christ the day he raises us from the grave. The second observation, not only this scene here shows us the request of the distraught, but I want you to see the resolve of the desperate. The resolve of the desperate, verses 20 to 21. Interestingly, in the middle of the account of the resurrection of this little girl, Matthew inserts a healing. And all three synoptic gospels do the same thing. They feature the same literary device. There's a reason for that, church, in case you were wondering. The reason for that is very simple to understand. Jesus wanted to wait for that little girl to be dead so he could come and raise her back to life. Jesus wanted to wait until the very last moment, until after the situation was completely hopeless, so that no one else would get the credit other than the power of Christ. And church, that teaches us a very valuable lesson. And the lesson is this, Jesus is never late. He is never early either. Sometimes he will wait until you believe the situation is completely hopeless so that you can experience the power of Christ. Now, he demonstrates very clearly that he specializes in raising the dead. Do you not think that he can redeem your problem, your situation, your desperation? 
You sabotage your own spiritual growth when you feel the need to insert your knowledge into the situation, when you feel the need to get ahead of God and do what God has asked you not to do, but just to wait on Him so that you can experience the resurrection of the situation. See, in His infinite wisdom, Jesus decided to take His time to walk with this distraught Father here so that He could experience the comfort of walking with the Savior. You see the lesson here, church? And not only that, but in the meantime, Jairus, walking with Christ, saw another miracle. It's the interlude healing that Matthew and the other synoptic gospels insert in the story here. And by describing this miracle, Matthew shows his readers the resolve of the desperate, which led to saving faith. And we're talking about this woman suffering from hemorrhage for 12 years. Now, she was considered ceremonially unclean. And because of that, according to the law in Leviticus, her uncleanliness alienated her from everybody, from her community. She was not allowed to approach anyone. She was not allowed to touch anyone. And certainly, if she had a husband, she could not have intimacy with the guy. But her resolve to come to Christ led to her saving faith and exemplifies saving faith. Why, church? Because she believed that only Jesus Christ could take care of her problem. In fact, some of the other gospel writers tell us that her situation is completely desperate. There was no hope for her from a human standpoint. She had tried other doctors. She had spent a lot of money. And Luke, who was a physician, had a specific interest in letting us know that no doctor could have healed her. And we know the reason why. Again, God in His infinite wisdom decided to allow this woman to suffer for 12 years so that at that moment she could be an example of saving faith. And she displayed saving faith in her despair. Because she was not allowed to touch anyone, she did not consider herself worthy to even approach Jesus Christ, to even come face to face with Him and make a personal request. That's an example of saving faith, church. That's an example of humility. I was saying, I'm so unclean. I have no business approaching Jesus Christ, but only if I can reach out my hand in desperation. I know that he'll answer me. I know that he'll take care of my situation. And that is another lesson for us today, church. If you reach out your hand in desperation to the Lord, he will hear you. He will come to your rescue. He will bring an end to your desperation in his timing and in his way, the way that's going to bring him honor and glory. So she heard of the compassionate Savior who walks with people. And she thought, man, if I just stretch out my hand, he'll be able to heal me. And when she did, she touched the tassel of Jesus' outer garment. And interestingly here, healing power flowed from Jesus. Do do you see the irony here in Scripture? Healing power flowed from Jesus in order to cure a woman who was flowing with blood. And she was terrified. Because, see, he identified her, not because he needed information to see who she was, because he already knew that. Jesus already demonstrated his omniscience. He identifies her in order to honor her publicly and to provide an example of saving faith and to give her an opportunity to testify publicly about the power of Jesus Christ, the power to raise the dead. Now, see... The Pharisees who misunderstood the nature of God, and we saw that already a couple weeks ago and in the Sermon on the Mount, very clear so far in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, they misunderstood the nature of God and therefore they misapplied the Old Testament. They were so legalistic and they were arrogant and they were proud and hypocritical that they would have rebuked this woman, but not Jesus Christ. See, he addressed her with a term of endearment. Did you catch that? Circle the word daughter. That's a term of endearment that Jesus uses to demonstrate his compassion, his tender heart. In other words, what he's telling this woman is this, you may be unclean according to the world, but to me you are family. 
The world may reject you, and in your distress and in your desperation, I receive you. You are now a part of my family. And at that very moment, something spiritual happened. We can't see here, but we know from other parts of Scripture what happens when somebody comes to Christ. The Father adopted her into the kingdom of heaven at that very moment. She became born again by grace through faith. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Meaning, by grace through faith you have been saved, according to Ephesians 2 verse 8. He adopted her into the kingdom of heaven. She is now a daughter of God. And John confirms the doctrine of adoption here very beautifully. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. She became family at that moment, even though everybody else rejected her, even though she felt desperate and she was hopeless, really. No one could take care of her problems. And Jesus said, let me take care of your greatest problem. Let me bring you to the kingdom of heaven because you're demonstrating saving faith. And genuine faith, church, produces this kind of humility. The desire to be cleansed, to be accepted, to be restored. An overwhelming sense of unworthiness to even approach Christ and to say, I am a sinner. I don't have anything to do with the holy God, but by his grace, he accepts me. That's saving faith and the hope that if you only stretch out your hand in desperation, He will hear you from heaven and He will respond to your desperation. Even if society rejects you, when you come to Jesus, He calls you His own. And He assures you, go in peace. That's what He said to the woman, go in peace. In other words, He says, you're at war and your heart is troubled, but now I'm telling you, go in peace. And that's the peace that she longed for so much, the peace that her heart so craved. And Mark and Luke describe the same thing, that he just says to her, go in peace. And that is the peace that only Jesus can give. See, the world offers conditional peace to you and me. The world will say, well, if only you had money, if only you had this, if only you had that, if only your situation weren't like this, then you would have peace. But not the Bible, not Jesus Christ. It says, my peace I give to you, not like the world gives. And Paul clarifies to us that that peace transcends all understanding. See, you can't explain it because it transcends all understanding. And that peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise from the Word of God. And from that moment on, that woman became born again. She was adopted into the kingdom of heaven. No longer alienated, but now adopted into the family of God. And Jesus calls her His own daughter. Go in peace. Oh, friend, if you are not in Christ, the Bible calls you children of wrath. In Ephesians 2 verse 3, that's the the contrast there. Those of us who are in Christ, we are children of God. But if you are not in Christ, the Bible calls you children of wrath. And if you'll come today, that's the good news. He will replace, spiritually speaking, the putrid stench of death in you with the pleasant aroma of life. He will lavish His kindness on you. And nothing will ever separate you from His love. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That's the promise of the Word of God according to Romans 8, 38. Now He may decide not to heal you. That's the thing. This is not a prescription from Scripture. It's a description of something that happened. He may decide not to heal you physically, but spiritually, my friend, you will be reborn, restored, redeemed, rewarded, and one day you will be resurrected. Speaking of which, let me point out to you the third observation of this passage here that this scene unpacks for us. We saw so far the request of the distraught, the resolve of the desperate, And I want you to know thirdly, according to verses 22 to 26, the response from the deliverer. By linking the two miracles, 
Matthew demonstrates not only the majestic Savior power over death, but he also illustrates two very precious theological truths concerning the doctrine of salvation. And the two truths that he reveals here by recording this scene is the present and the future aspect of our salvation. Did you know that there's a past aspect of your salvation? You were saved if you're a believer in Christ now. You are being saved, meaning you are being sanctified, transformed according to the power of God. And one day you will be glorified. Did you know that? So two of those are illustrated here. And I want you to see them concerning how Christ responds to saving faith. First of all, according to verse 22, he justifies sinners immediately. Matthew informs his readers that Jesus pronounced this woman saved at once. When the Bible says here that she was made well, the word that he used in the original is the same word for saved, for being saved. And obviously he's referring to physical salvation here. But her healing illustrates Jesus' power to justify the sinner that comes to him in faith. Just like she experienced immediate bodily restoration, her spirit was immediately brought to life. Christ justified that lady, meaning she was placed in a new position at that moment of salvation that the same thing happened to you when you got saved. You were placed in a new position, spiritually speaking, no longer bound to hell, but now on your way to the kingdom of heaven. Now, Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You see, we are in the heavenly places in Christ. Already our citizenship is there. Our presence there is guaranteed. Also, he says in Ephesians 2, verse 6, God raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, that woman, as a result of her new birth, was placed in Christ, no longer in Adam. You see, the father no longer looks at her with the condemnation of Adam. She is no longer identified with the sin of Adam, but now identified with the righteousness of Christ on the merit of Jesus by grace through faith. Is that clear? So, positionally, the father changed her. And the same thing happens to you and me. When people get saved today, nothing may happen to their bodies on the outside. It did with this woman here. But spiritually speaking, people are placed in Christ, no longer identified with the sin of Adam, but now identified with the righteousness of Christ. And now, when the Father looks at your life, He doesn't look at your sins anymore because you have been covered by the righteousness of Christ. You see, you don't have inherent righteousness We have imputed righteousness. That's another biblical term, meaning God has given the righteousness of Christ to us by grace through faith. She has been declared righteous at that moment, forgiven, no longer condemned or controlled by her sins. And that's the same case with you and me, church. If you are a new creature in Christ, if you're a new person in Christ, if you are in Him, now you are no longer controlled or condemned by your sin. You are now justified by God. And that's reason to celebrate. You see, we have nothing to be sad about. There's no anxiety that can even compete with that. We have been declared righteous according to God, no longer condemned. And one day we will be in heaven because of His grace. Furthermore, this woman also illustrates the immediacy of spiritual salvation. There is no 90-day probation period here. She was immediately declared righteous. She doesn't have to prove her worthiness. Same thing with you and for me. We don't have to prove our worthiness in order to make it to the kingdom of heaven. There is no waiting room. At the moment you are pronounced justified, you are in. And you will never lose that. You don't deserve to be saved and you don't deserve to be kept saved. We're all saved by the grace of God. Now, sanctification is gradual, but justification is instantaneous. 
Just like Matthew describes here concerning the physical salvation of this woman at once, immediately. So that's the first truth concerning the doctrine of salvation that we see illustrated here. Jesus justifies sinners immediately, but according to verses 23 to 26, he glorifies believers instantaneously. He glorifies believers instantaneously in the future. See, by the time Jesus arrives at Jairus' house, the funeral had already started. And we know that because there were flute players there, a common practice for people who were mourning during that time. Matthew wants to demonstrate something very clear to us. She was really dead. The fact that people were laughing at Jesus Christ when he said, well, she's asleep, demonstrates to us that she was really dead. Now, we're not sure this teenager was a believer. She certainly had a godly father. But she symbolizes that the dead in Christ, who one day be risen from the dead at the call of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, Paul says this, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall be always with the Lord. And Paul says, comfort one another with these words in verse 18. So we're, we're doing the same. We're comforting one another with these words. Now, when the Bible talks about believers falling asleep, it's talking about the position of the body. It's a reference to death, physical death. We know that for the believers, the body goes to the grave. The body looks like it's fallen asleep. But according to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, for us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord immediately. So there is no soul sleep. And as soon as the believer dies, he goes immediately into the presence of God. The body goes to the grave. Now, therefore, just like he did with the teenage girl, Jesus will call us back to life personally. And that's what he is illustrating here. We will live in a resurrected, glorified body fit for heaven. Your own body, except glorified. Otherwise, it's reincarnation. And the Bible says nothing about that. There is no such thing. It's your body glorified, resurrected. In other words, you will always going to look like you, only in glorified version. And you will always reflect the beauty of the Creator, just like you do now. Listen to Paul again in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 53 to 54. For the perishable must put on the imperishable, referring to the human body. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. In other words, you will have your body glorified, resurrected, immune to death because of his grace through faith. This teenage girl's resurrection here was not the one who lead, that leads to glorification. How do we know that? Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 that Christ is the first fruit of those who are asleep, referring to that resurrection that leads to glorification. She eventually died again and her body went to a grave somewhere, but she remains an illustration of Jesus' power to raise the dead in a vivid illustration of the words that Jesus Christ uttered in John 11 verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. 
I mean, you don't get any more clearer than that, that glorification is a part of your salvation and my salvation. It's all in the package. You have been justified. You are being sanctified. And one day you will be glorified, meaning God will call you out of the grave personally, Jesus Christ, according to what we just read in 1 Thessalonians 4. Just like justification, the glorification of believers happens instantaneously. In fact, the Bible says in a twinkling of an eye in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 52. Before we close, I want you to look at verse 25 again. Jesus touched a dead body, which would have raised the eyebrows of every Jew in that room. He was not supposed to do that according to their misapplication and misunderstanding of the Old Testament law. He is God. He can do whatever he wants. So he touched the dead body. He took Jairus' daughter by the hand because he is moved by divine compassion. Again, I refer you to verse 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Now Mark records his words to this teenager and that's in Mark 5 verse 41. Jesus took her by the hand and said, little girl, I say to you, get up. Can you hear the tender heartedness of Christ here in how he resurrects this dead teenager? Friends, he expresses his compassion to you as well. If you're a born-again believer in Christ, one day you will feel his resurrection touch. You will hear his voice calling you out of the grave, and you will receive your glorified body, which will experience no distress, no anxiety, no desperation, no disease, and no death. And that's a promise to born-again believers. One day you will be glorified. His power over death displays not only his divine credentials, but his divine compassion. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. We're always looking for people just like you to join us in spreading the gospel around the world. This broadcast has provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.